Let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, God, we, we thank you, God, for your unending, unstoppable love for us. And God, we thank you for your unending, unstoppable forgiveness, God, that, that cleanses us and washes our guilt away. God, we thank you for the privilege of, of being have a, a, a relationship with you that God is filled with peace because of your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for what you've done in this church this last year, how you've brought healing to people and transformed people and, and brought people to you, God, and, and, and brought uh, people together. And God, we just pray for more this coming year. God, that you'd release your Holy Spirit in greater ways. Uh, God, that we would see uh, uh, greater miracles. God, we would see greater faithfulness. We would see a greater just turning away from the things that destroy and a turning to the things that give life. We pray that your kingdom come, and God, that your will be done in every way. God, we pray over leadership of this church, that you would uh, continue to lead our leadership by your Holy Spirit. God, if we begin to go down any road that's not of you, that you would convict, that you would stop, and God, as we walk in your will, that you'd bring unity and, and fruit. And so God, we pray blessing over uh, what you are doing, we pray blessing over each person in this room, and God, each individual who is, who is not here today, and God, we look forward to continually walking with you in your kingdom. And God, we pray for uh, this, this message as we continue uh, to talk about being overwhelmed, God, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, just, uh, by your Holy Spirit, work in us in, in whatever way, God, you wish this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been working through a series uh, called Overwhelmed. We took a little break last week for Christmas, but we are going to continue. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the topic about being all alone. And we're doing this series because, I don't know about you, but I, I seem to run in more and more people who would use the word overwhelmed to describe how they're, how they're feeling. Uh, people burnt out and feeling like they're too busy and just overwhelmed with life, and if you're feeling that way, hopefully you've got a little bit of rest over Christmas, but if you've been feeling that way, uh, you're not alone, uh, because 74% of adults have felt so stressed at some point over the last year, uh, they felt overwhelmed or unable to cope. 32% uh, of adults said they had experienced suicidal feelings as a result of stress, and, and we are living in this crazy, kind of busy, overwhelmed, fast-paced, 24-7 world, and so we've been talking how as uh, followers of Jesus, as members of the kingdom, as children of the Father, how we, how we live a little differently than the kingdom of this world. And I don't know, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. These are some of the symptoms of maybe feeling overwhelmed. Uh, you find you don't have a lot of time for friendships. Your relationships often will struggle, your marriage, your close friendships, because you just don't have a lot of time for them, or you're feeling overwhelmed. You're not connecting well. You may be tired all the time. You're not enjoying time with God, or it is always rushed. You may feel a lot of apathy and drudgery. You just don't care about a lot of things. Uh, maybe you feel a lot of anxiety or worry, or you're uh, overpowered by situations when you know negative news comes your way. You just feel defeated as it as it comes your way. Uh, you become a negative voice at the table. Even if someone has a good idea, you always respond to it negatively because you just you don't have the energy to even comprehend or think about it. So you just you just become the negative voice at the table. 
Uh, you're rushing a lot. Uh, you are less loving and more demanding. You're constantly multitasking and you just find yourself maybe with a lack of gratitude and a lack of joy and you just kind of feel overwhelmed. And, and if that's you, uh, I have really good news for you because that's not God's will for you. That's not the way God wants you to be living. Uh, the Father is calling you to a new way of life and it's not a life of living overwhelmed. In fact, uh, in John chapter 7, Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And if, you, if you're overwhelmed, then you need to drink of the Father, the Holy Spirit, of the, of the Son. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, uh, Jesus said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Uh, not just a little drip, not just a stream, not even a river. Uh, he's not satisfied with one river. He says rivers, plural, rivers of living water will flow from within you. This is God's desire for our lives and, and, and that we would uh, be, be uh, just full of the Holy Spirit and joy and gratitude. And uh, that's God's desire. Now, it's not always that easy because we do have an enemy who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, sometimes we get out of the kingdom track a little bit and get on our own. It's not, the, not easy, but this is God's desire for you. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, make sure you're praying in to more of this kind of life. The Bible does say that when you pray anything according to his will, that he hears you. So continually press into this life he is calling you to. Or Matthew 5, it says, uh, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. As kingdom people, we are called to be people who live in such a way that we have something to give to those around us. And when you're overwhelmed, you have nothing to give. Uh, you, you just you have nothing to give because you're tired and you're burnt out and you're frustrated and you're joyless and you just have nothing to give. And so, uh, again, just press into this life that God is calling you to live. And so we've talked about some topics so far. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about busyness and making sure that, that you uh, pull back from this busy culture and that you take times where you just pause in the quiet and you... You connect with God and you're refreshed in Him. That you don't uh, get your identity from your doing. You get your identity from being with the Father. Uh, we've talked about the idea of Sabbath. This, this rhythm that we were created for. Work and rest. Work and rest. And, and the, the best way to do a Sabbath is one in one in every seven, seven days. You do something just different. You, do, you connect with God. You do what you want to do on that day. And you rest and be refreshed. Uh, again, just stepping away from the busyness of this culture. And today we're going to talk about being all alone. Because uh, we are not created to do life alone. And, uh, and, and, and life is hard and it's messy and there are constantly things coming at us that overwhelm us. And, and we can't do it on our own. We need God and we need each other. And if you find yourself alone without a close friend or a close companion, it, it's just easier to be overwhelmed. And so we're going to talk about loneliness. And loneliness uh, is basically when a person lacks meaningful connection with other people. Because the reality is you can be lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely in a family. Loneliness is when you don't have meaningful connection with people. You can have lots of Facebook friends. You can come to church every Sunday and have lots of people around you. But you can still be lonely because you don't have those meaningful relationships with other people. Uh, again, um, Jesus, first of all, I want to talk a bit about being alone versus loneliness, because there's a difference. Uh, being alone isn't bad. 
Loneliness, no, loneliness is not a good thing, but being alone isn't actually a bad thing. Again, we always go back to Jesus here, and Jesus being our model and example, he actually spent quite a bit of time alone. In Luke 5, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. That, as we talked about in the first message in the series, we are to build all alone times into our schedule. Where we are quiet, where we're all alone, where there's nobody around, where we can connect with the Father. Being alone is not a bad thing. Uh, in fact, they have shown that if you're able to be alone, you are actually more effective when you step into relationships with other people. Because if you find that you can't be alone, and you, I just always need to be around people, or I always need to be on social media, or I always need to be doing stuff, uh, you will find that uh, you're not actually as effective when you step into a relationship. Because it's often in those times that we are alone, in the quiet, when our mind begins to process those things that are broken in our heart, or we begin to, to hear God, and, we, and God begins to work on those things that, that maybe make relationship difficulty, uh, difficult. And so uh, you need to be alone because heart issues will mess up relationships, but it's often when you're alone with the Father that He works on those things. So being alone is actually a really, really good thing, but loneliness, when you don't have meaningful connections with people, it is not a good thing. Uh, we are not meant to live life on our own. God didn't, did not design you to live life on your own. And sometimes, especially men will say this, you know, I don't need anybody. I can do it on my own. Uh, God hasn't designed you that way. I mean, this microphone, I mean, I could try to use it as a hammer, and the mic could say, I'm a great hammer, but it's going to break. <laughs> and we can say, I can do this on my own, but I tell you, you try long enough, you will eventually break. Uh, we need each other. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And so we are designed to be in a relationship. This doesn't necessarily mean you need to be married. The Bible also speaks very highly of singleness. Uh, this is talking about meaningful connection with other people. And you can have that in, in a variety of different kinds of, of relationship. But probably all of us know what it's like to be alone at least some point in our life. Uh, to be struggling with somebody, have nobody to share it with, or just, just feel alone. And there are moments in all of our lives where we'll feel alone. But... Uh, sometimes people feel alone all the time. In fact, statistically, uh, this is actually getting worse. In fact, I was watching this um, uh, TED Talk on loneliness, and, and I don't know about you, whenever I watch a YouTube video, I always scroll through comments. Uh, because I'm just, I'm just blown away of how much of a shame culture we've become. <laughs> you just realize that in YouTube comments, we're just a shame culture. Anything we disagree with, we just shame and, and say nasty things against. But... This TED Talk was interesting because there's not a lot of shaming. There's a lot of actually confession. And here are just a couple of the many, many comments. A guy named Tim says, I was crying by the end of that. I'm sure my depression is from loneliness. I've been lonely for a very long time now. Alyssa said, I could turn off my phone for three months, turn it back on, and I can guarantee I would have no missed calls or messages. Joe says, I hope you can help. 
I am so desperately lonely and have tried every dating site, meeting, joining clubs, and can't connect with people no matter what I try. And somebody with the alias Fish and Banana said, uh, I told my mother jokingly one day that if I die, nobody will know until the neighbor would complain of a foul smell coming from my apartment. We both laughed, but deep inside, I knew that that was the truth. Uh, we're dealing with, uh, many people say, an epidemic of, of loneliness in our culture. Uh, I mean, the statistics are quite startling. 40%, that's, that's two out of every five people, would describe themselves as lonely. 28% uh, of homes in Canada have only one person living in them. Uh, one in three people older than 65 live alone. 70% of university students battle loneliness during the school year, and and one of the leading uh, causes, I should say, of suicide is actually loneliness. And it's often in a, in a kind of a U-shaped graph. It's, it's more affected by young people and old people are, are the highest statistically to be lonely. But it can affect anybody. Uh, there's a lot of lonely people today. And startlingly, it, it is terrible for our health to be lonely. I mean, wait, I just think it's bad for our mental state. But uh, Dr. Julianne said it's comparable to the risk of smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Now, if you saw someone smoking 15 cigarettes a day, we'd say, well, that's really bad for your health. The doctors are saying, if you're lonely and, and, and constantly lonely, it's just as bad for you. It exceeds the risk of alcohol consumption. It exceeds the risk of physical inactivity, obesity, and exceeds the risk of air pollution. Uh, analysis of 148 studies said greater social connection is associated with a 50% reduced risk of early death. And this shouldn't surprise us because God has wired us to connect with people. He has wired us to be uh, close to people around us and, and not to live this individualistic life. I can do it all on my own kind of a, a way of, of thinking. Uh, they've done new research on dementia. Uh, people who experience feelings of loneliness are at a 40% chance higher risk of developing dementia in their later years. Some uh, medical professionals put it as high as 50% higher risk. And so loneliness is, it, it affects us. And not just emotionally and, and physically, but it affects even just the way we can handle, handle life generally. Uh, w.H. Auden said this, we must love one another or die. And there's a lot of truth to that. The Bible says we're not meant to live our own. Science is now saying we can't live alone. In fact, the UK has actually hired a, 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 a government official in charge of battling loneliness in their country because they're realizing it's a health epidemic. It's just, it's, just, it's just growing and expanding. But God has come to connect lonely people. And this is just part of the good news of, of, of following Jesus. Is God has always come. His mission has been to connect lonely people into a family. And this family starts with, with us and, and God and also us, us with each other. Uh, we see this uh, all the time through Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 8, we see it says Jesus came down from the mountainside and a large, a large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And in that, in that uh, culture, leprosy, or which is gen a general skin disease, that's all that means, uh, you couldn't be a part of, of like worshiping in the temple. 
But you couldn't be a part of community in the same way. You were uh, kind of pushed aside. You would be very lonely. Uh, often you couldn't be with your family. Uh, you couldn't, again, be a part of the, the temple system, which was the center of all community life. You would be very, very lonely. And here Jesus comes along, and Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus actually reaches out and does what you could not do, according to the law and the culture, was touch this person with a skin disease. And just imagine being this leper who has never experienced any physical touch in, in years and years and years and years. And Jesus comes along and touches him and heals him and, and, and connects with him. And this is what the, the business that God is in. Uh, connecting with lost people. Like you, you remember uh, the, the prodigal son. While the son was still far off, the father, uh, you know, embarrasses himself and runs out to the son and embraces him. And this is what God does for the lonely. He runs to the lonely and embraces them and wants to connect and take the lonely and bring them into family. In fact, all the language around our relationship with God and each other is actually language of family. Uh, God is called Father. That's how Jesus taught us to address God. It was actually using the word Father. I mean, God is kind of generic. We can use that. That's fine. But Father, it, it's a word of intimacy. In, in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father. Jesus didn't just say, You pray to me. He didn't say, You pray to the Holy Spirit. We can do that. That's fine. Uh, he said, He didn't say, Pray to God. He says, Pray to our Father. The God who is intimate with you and wants to be in a relationship with you and wants to be a dad to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In John chapter 1, it says, The unique one who, himself, uh, who is himself God, that's Jesus, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Because sometimes when we think about Father, especially if you've grown up in a home where your father was abusive or mean or not present, sometimes we can be reluctant <laughs> to call God our Father, but we need to make sure that we're not taking our Father and comparing it to God our Father, that we look at Jesus and, and we understand who our Father is, because Jesus came to reveal who the Father is. And if your idea of who the Father is doesn't line up with Jesus, then there's something wrong with that. When we look at Jesus, we know who the Father is. He came to reveal God. He came to reveal the Father to us. And Jesus was the one who would touch lepers. He was one who hung around tax collectors and sinners. He was one who died on the cross and, and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is revealing the Father's heart. Uh, the Father loves you and is calling you to, to become a child. Um, and God also, because talking about the family idea, also has, of course, mothering characteristics. And we call him Father. But God isn't like, you know, a male being standing up there because the Father is actually spirit. Uh, God is spirit. Uh, the Bible says. In Genesis 1, it says, God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. That both male and female were created out of the, the image of God. Uh, there's this mothering characteristics about God as well, as we see in Isaiah. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And so again, it's this family language throughout the Bible. And we're called children. Not nasty children, not unwanted children, not children that God doesn't want to put up with, not the, the, you know, the, the, the miserable child. We're called dearly loved children. Amen. And Romans 8 says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, or Daddy, Daddy Father. It's, again, this language of being intimate with the God of this universe. God is calling you out of loneliness into a relationship with, with Him. In fact, John 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And if you open up your heart, God comes to you. As it says in the Bible, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks at the door. He's knocking on your heart saying, hey, I want to I come in. I want to bless you. I want to be a father to you. I want to change your life around for the good. And, and that's why we open our hearts up to him. But there's also a sense in all of this uh, that God is not enough. You know, sometimes we say, oh, God's enough. Well, actually, there's a sense where God isn't enough. When God created this world, it was perfect and beautiful. Everything was awesome. It was very, very good. There was no sin in the world, but God's still in this perfect world where Adam had a perfect relationship with the Father. God looks down at Adam and says, something's not good. Something's not perfect. And that it's not good for man to be alone. Because God didn't only create us for him, he also created us for each other. And there's a sense that God is not enough because we not only need a relationship with God, we also need a relationship. We, we need relationships with other people. And so God has also, thankfully, brought us into a family. That's why the Bible calls people who attend church and followers of Jesus were brothers and sisters. Because if God is our father and I'm a son, well, that makes you my brother and you my sister. All through the Bible, we are called brothers and sisters because he has brought us into a family. And for some people, your spiritual family actually becomes closer than your biological family. Uh, and Jesus said this in, in Matthew 12. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? As his biological mother and his brothers were out there. Uh, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so for some people whose, whose families are a mess or families who have abandoned them, uh, their church family actually becomes their family. And there are some people who are closer to their church family than there are to their biological family. But God has not only brought you into a relationship with the Father, but also a relationship uh, with each other into this family. And all the language of the church is, is language of family and language of connection and language of community. We're called family of believers. We're called God's family, God's household, the bride of Christ, and brothers and sisters. And, uh, and so I encourage you to continue building relationships with each other. Now despite this, even though we are God's family, there are times when people, even in this church, feel still extremely lonely. Uh, even when they come to church. I still have a hard time maybe making connection, making those deep friendships. And, and, and this is not just a problem in the church. I would hope this is much better, I think, in the church than in the world. But loneliness generally, even amongst Christians, is growing. Uh, growing quite quickly, actually. Uh, 1951, there were only 7% of homes in Canada where there was one person. Now it's 28. Uh, since 1980s, loneliness has doubled to 40%. Uh, the number of people with no close friends has tripled since 1985. Uh, loneliness is skyrocketing. That's, again, why they're calling it a, uh, a loneliness epidemic. And, and John O'Donohue, I like this, he said this, 
there is a huge leaden loneliness settling like a frozen winter on so many humans. And it's true. Uh, there's a lot of lonely people out there who have uh, no close friendships or people around us. And, and by the way, this actually is adding more weight onto marriages. Because uh, it used to be, I mean, years and years ago, uh, most people who were married had other friends. And so the weight of the burden of uh, dealing with a person <laughs> was spread out a little bit. All right? <laughs> because we all have burdens and we're all messy, right? Uh, but now what happens, a lot of people don't have friends. And so the, the whole weight of dealing with that messy person is on the spouse or is on one individual friend. So the weight of, because people's friendship circles and community is shrinking and people feel more and more alone, if they do have a friend or a spouse, there's a lot more weight on it, and it's actually making marriages and those current relationships more difficult. I get it, it's getting more and more lonely, and it's an issue. Uh, why has it grown so much? Uh, well, there's lots of reasons. Uh, for one, in this modern world, families and friends are more spread out. Uh, work opportunities in school. I mean, you go back a long time ago, you grew up in your hometown, you worked in your hometown, you died in your hometown. So you had lots of time to develop friends and family, uh, you kind of did what your parents did, and so there was this strong community. Now, we got every opportunity in the world to go anywhere in the world. We have to go away for school, we have to go away for work, because there's no work here, and, and we travel. Whenever you move, then you have to create new friends and new relationships, and so we're very, very spread out. I mean, I meet very, very few people who will say, you know, all my kids live here, or my parents live here. They're like, well, one's in Vancouver, one's somewhere in the States, and one's, you know, we're very spread out. And this can cause a great deal of loneliness. Uh, it may be because of, of selfishness and brokenness. At least most psychologists say that our society is becoming more narcissistic, more selfish. And selfish people just make terrible spouses and terrible friends, <laughs> right? Uh, and just brokenness. I mean, it causes us to, to break community because it gets, it gets messy and we're selfish. So we're picky about who we hang out with. And, and so it's another reason there's more selfishness. Another reason is that we run from boredom. Uh, because we're so used to being entertained and so used to this fast-paced world that we are no longer very good at being bored together. And so when two people are bored together, what do they do? They pick up their phone. Uh, they immediately, we gotta do something. In fact, I got a video clip I'm gonna show, kinda illustrates this point of, of how even dinners, we can't even be bored together at dinners anymore.
Peter can barely play that one, but anyways, you get the point. <laughs> and that's us. Uh, you see that often in, in restaurants where you know, uh, you know, people will be on their phone or groups, and we just, we don't, we're no longer able to be bored together, and that actually hurts community. It hurts relationship building. And of course, this brings us into one of the, the biggest problems that if, if you read about loneliness, and that is just our, our world of um, uh, social media. It, it is affecting uh, loneliness. In fact, uh, one study from the University of Pittsburgh said that people who use social media more than two hours a day have twice the odds of feeling social, socially isolated, uh, feeling, I think I wrote that wrong, socially isolated, let me say that, than peers who spend less than half an hour on social media each day. Uh, that social media has actually made our culture more lonely. Uh, but it's not all bad, because for some, social media actually helps. Uh, for elderly whose family are all away, at least they have some ability to connect with their family. They have found people who are, are very lonely, uh, just generally in life, who go online and game with other people online, actually have a sense of a, at least a little bit of social connection. Uh, people use online and social media to, to find spouses, and, and so there's, there's a good side of social media in terms of connection and community. But it doesn't quite satisfy our real needs. And I would say the difference is kind of between uh, vegan bacon and real bacon. They're both bacon. Uh, connecting with, uh, with people on social media, it's connection. But it's kind of like the vegan connection, right? Uh, but connecting with certain one-on-one is like real bacon. And if you're a vegan, just reverse uh, the image here, okay? Uh, it works. And social media doesn't quite uh, satisfy those needs for, for, for conquering our, our, our loneliness. Uh, Sherry Turkle, who has done a lot of research on this, she's got a really famous TED talk. I'm going to show you a portion in a second. Uh, she talks about being all alone together. That's our world. We're all alone, but sort of together. We're all alone, but sort of together on social media. And she talks a little bit about the effects of, of loneliness and uh, social media. And so I'm going to show that this time. What happened? I'm still excited by technology, but I believe, and I'm here to make the case, that we're letting it take us places that we don't want to go. Over the past 15 years, I've studied technologies of mobile communication, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, young and old, about their plugged-in lives. And what I've found is that our little devices, those little devices in our pockets, are so psychologically powerful that they don't only change what we do, they change who we are. Some of the things we do now with our devices are things that only a few years ago we would have found odd or disturbing, but they've quickly come to seem familiar just how we do things. So just to take some quick examples, people text or do email during corporate board meetings. They text and shop and go on Facebook during classes, during presentations, actually during all meetings. People talk to me about the important new skill of making eye contact while you're texting. People explain to me that it's hard, but that it can be done. Parents text and do email at breakfast and at dinner while their children complain about not having their parents' full attention, but then these same children deny each other their full attention. 
This is a recent shot of my daughter and her friends being together while not being together. <laughs> and we even text at funerals. I study this. We remove ourselves from our grief or from our reverie, and we go into our phones. Why does this matter? It matters to me because I think we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Trouble certainly in how we relate to each other, but also trouble in how we relate to ourselves, in our capacity for self-reflection. We're getting used to a new way of being alone together. People want to be with each other, but also elsewhere, connected to all the different places they want to be. People want to customize their lives. They want to go in and out of all the places they are because the thing that matters most to them is control over where they put their attention. So you want to go to that board meeting, but you only want to pay attention to the bits that interest you. And some people think that's a good thing. But you can end up hiding from each other even as we're all constantly connected to each other. A 50-year-old businessman laments to me that he feels he doesn't have colleagues anymore at work. When he goes to work, he doesn't stop by to talk to anybody, he doesn't call, and he says he doesn't want to interrupt his colleagues because he says they're too busy on their email. But then he stops himself and he says, you know, I'm not telling you the truth. I'm the one who doesn't want to be interrupted. I think I should want to, but actually I'd rather just do things on my Blackberry. Across the generations, I see that people can't get enough of each other if and only if they can have each other at a distance in amounts they can control. I call it the Goldilocks effect. Not too close, not too far, just right. But what might feel just right for that middle-aged executive can be a problem for an adolescent who needs to develop face-to-face -face relationships. An 18-year-old boy who uses texting for almost everything says to me wistfully, someday, someday, but certainly not now, I'd like to learn how to have a conversation. When I ask people, What's wrong with having a conversation? People say, I'll tell you what's wrong with having a conversation. It takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. So that's the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. And that means we get to retouch the face, the voice, the flesh, the body. Not too little, not too much, just right. Hey, you can watch the full 20 minutes. Just look up Alone Together or Sherry Trickle on uh, YouTube and you can find that. Uh, David Brooks said, uh, phone addiction is making it harder to be the sort of person who is good at deep friendship. In lives that are already crowded and stressful, it's easier to let banter crowd out emotional presence. There are a thousand ways online to divert with a joke or a happy face emoticon. You can have a day of happy touch points without any of the scary revelations or the boring, awkward, 
or uncontrollable moments that constitute actual intimacy. And this is where it really comes down to, is that real relationships, they're messy. And they're not always easy. And you've got to interact with that person in real time. And, 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 and through just a lot of use of social media and kind of our combine that with our narcissistic culture, uh, we don't like that kind of thing as much anymore. And so we quickly run from relationship to relationship. We, you know, this is getting a little too hard. And, you know, we, and there are certain reasons we need to put boundaries in place. But as, as, as followers of Jesus, we need to value community. That has to be a priority. And which means that we need to accept the mess. Uh, this church is a messy place because there's people in it. Uh, you have a messy pastor because I'm a person. Uh, we're messy. And, and, and as you dive into that, this is where you find those close relationships. Especially through things like being vulnerable. It is one of the ways you create uh, intimacy. In fact, uh, Dr. Greg Mitchell put it this way. God has perfectly designed his church to accomplish what he intends. To grow a people who love God, one another, and the world. Right now, the church is the best place for you to be in order for you to grow in your relationship with God and with others. Uh, that we must allow our relationships to, to, to uh, relational challenges to mature us. Because if you're a part of a church and you actually want to get involved in this family of God, now you can easily come and disappear right away and never get connected. Some people choose to do that, and that's, we're not going to force you. But if you choose to get involved and start coming out to events or start serving or start trying to have a conversation and hang around at the coffee bar, uh, you're going to run into messy people. <laughs> but if you want to develop friendships, then you need to learn to accept that mess. And you learn to sometimes accept rejection. Because sometimes to say, hey, do you want to go to lunch? Do you want to hang out? And that person's going to say no. But it's no different than what Jesus did. Jesus came down to make connection with you and me, and he risked being rejected. And he's rejected all the time. But he's got some of the best relationships ever. <laughs> I got a good relationship with him, uh, but it's just like us. If you want to build relationships, then, then don't live in this kind of world where you just keep everybody at a distance. Learn to accept the mess and dive in and jump into the family of God. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk more about how exactly we do this. How do you build relationships uh, but for today, we're going we're gonna to park it right there. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have come to build relationships. Thank you, Father, you have invited us in to the family of God. And God, we just pray for anyone in this room who is just feeling lonely in life. God, I pray you would give them courage. I pray, God, you would uphold them and lift them. God, I pray you would provide for them. And I pray blessing over them. In Jesus' name.